There's a beautiful line in one of the carols we were just singing that goes, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And in some ways, that's the Christmas story in one line. I love it. And in many ways, all of the songs and poems and carols and readings and videos and things we've been doing in this service so far have been variations on that theme. The thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And Christmas carols and Advent songs are basically statements of deep hope in the midst of deep darkness. So they acknowledge the weariness of the world, but also the rejoicing and the thrill of the hope that is to come. And so the thrill of hope arrives while the world is still weary. There's nothing sentimental there, right? The world feels tired, exhausted, flat, anxious. And into that weariness comes this thrilling sense that tomorrow will be better, that the world to come is going to be better than the world today. And that thrill of hope comes into the world that's, as the world is already dark and drained. And the little boys in Bethlehem, when we sang about the little town of Bethlehem, the little boys in that town, many of them are going to be massacred in a few days or weeks or months' time. But Bethlehem's also the place where the hopes and fears of all the years are met in you tonight. So it's a place of great darkness and sorrow, actually, but also a place into which the light of hope is shining, the everlasting light. And so that kind of dynamics at work in all the songs we've been singing in some ways. This world is is dark and difficult and hard. Times are tough, but into that shines the beauty of the hope of the world to come. And the scripture passages we've read are like that as well. We had Isaiah talking many centuries before the birth of Christ, trusting that the world is going to get better because Jesus is going to come. You have Matthew saying, this man is going to be the one in whom the Gentiles, the nations from all over the world, are going to put their hope in the midst of the sadness of the world. You have Simeon and Anna, the old couple who Tash was just reading to us about, looking at the little boy that they're holding in their arms and marveling that they got to live to see the day. They're saying, wow, God has allowed me to live to be old enough to see the hope of the world and hold him in my hands. In Gabrielle's beautiful spoken word, you know, that video with the anchor at the end, I love that piece. And we all, in that, it's all about how we want the world to be better tomorrow, better in the future than it is today, but about the fact that Many of us then try and find that hope in all kinds of different places and they may not hold up. Where You, what, you hope the world's going to be better than it is. We all do. But where's the hope rooted? That's the great question that Gabrielle was asking effectively. Is it pie in the sky? Is it rooted in just sinking sand? Is it going to disappear? Or is it rooted in the anchor, the immovable rock of eternity and the hope that is found in the Lord Jesus? And if the story that most people in Britain today live by is true, then actually there isn't really any grounds for hope in the long term. You know, if all you and I are is really a bunch of chemicals and atoms interacting with one another on a planet that, although it's shooting through space, is one day just going to get swallowed up by the sun and burnt to a, burnt to a crisp, ultimately there isn't really any hope that the world would be better. I'm going to have good days, bad days, but there's, there isn't really any grounds for hope. I might choose to hope anyway, but it's not based in reality. On the other hand, if the world is as Christians say it is, if the Christian story is true, if God has entered the weary world in person to redeem it, to rescue it, to die for it, to rise again, to save it, and then gradually to transform it, and one day to return to it and abolish death forever, then things can only get better rather than only getting worse. 
A friend of mine describes it as like seeing really the Christian story as a comedy shaped like a smile rather than a tragedy shaped like a frown. You know, in a, in a comedy, things go tough in the middle and where we live now is the sort of difficult time, but in the end, it all ends happily ever after. Whereas in a tragedy, things look like they're going well, but you're at the high point now. This is the world as we're in now. It's like, okay, we're all right now, but do we know that ultimately things are going to fade to black and disappear into the void? And then actually the Christian story is comedy-shaped. The Jesus, the Christmas story. We are in a weary world, but we are rejoicing because of the thrill of hope, as opposed to trying to make hay while the sun shines because we know that soon the night is coming and there will be nothing left to celebrate. So Christmas... It's not a time for sentimentalities, really. It's not a time for blowing smoke or denying the painful realities of the weary world we're in. It's a time for hopeful realism, a recognition of the painful realities of the weary world alongside a resilient, joy-filled, sunny confidence in the thrill of hope that tomorrow will be better than today because of the coming of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible uses a very odd picture to describe that reality. So a picture that in some ways is very Christmassy, but it's so Christmassy that we almost don't notice that it's a picture of the world as it currently is. It's a very graphic picture as well, and that picture is that of childbirth. You see, in many ways, Christmas is nothing if it's not a story of childbirth, right? It's a, it's a story about, you know, a labor, about a woman who's pregnant who then is able to give birth. That's what nativity just means, childbirth. So it's strange in a way that we don't really think about it as a childbirth story as such, because we've sentimentalized it and sterilized the whole story but actually the central story still in many ways in our culture the central narrative of the western world is a story of anguish and labor pains and screaming and exhaustion and blood and stretch marks and a load of other stuff which i won't go into it's a family service and i've only been present at three childbirths but in each case it seems to me that there's no human experience which better sums up what you might call the thrill of hope in the midst of the weariness or the joy to come being the thing that empowers you in the midst of the exhaustion and anguish of present sufferings. It's a beautiful picture of that kind of reality. Nothing better demonstrates, in my view, the weariness and anguish and pain of this present world better than childbirth. Childbirth is a time when full of statements like, I can't do this, make it stop, I cannot go on, I've not got anything left, I'm exhausted, I can't do it. But it's also filled with human experiences of hope and the thrill of hope and the rejoicing to come being the thing that gets you through the experience of the weariness and the anguish and the pain. And it's full of statements also like, keep going, you can do it, nearly there, life is on its way, the anguish will soon stop. You might even say, your sorrow will turn to joy. Childbirth is full of things like that. And in many ways, as such, it encapsulates, doesn't it? It sort of puts on display for us uh, what it means for us to be living in a weary world, but able to sustain ourselves through it by trusting in the hope of the age to come. And when my firstborn son came into the world, within a few minutes, the, uh, the anguish and the yelling and all that had subsided. And my wife just said, she was probably a little bit high still from all the drugs they give you, but she just said, oh, I could have 12 of those. I remember her saying it as if it was yesterday. Thinking she, she's been sustained because the rejoicing of the hope that was to come, the life of the future has now broken into the present. And she's going, oh, that has, that has relativized the pain and anguish I was traveling through. Sorrow has turned to rejoicing. There is pain in the night, but joy cometh in the morning. And it doesn't take much imagination to picture Mary 
like all expectant mothers, powering through the pain as she's in labour by fixing her mind on the thrill of hope and the rejoicing that is to come when Jesus was born. And then he's here. You know, I've been carrying him for nine months. I've been waiting for him for all these months. And now he's here and it's all okay. And all of the pain and suffering I've been through has been made okay because of this new life that's here. And of course, Mary had been waiting for months. The world in many ways has been waiting for many centuries. But the response of joy is the same. The hope has come. This child in the manger represents the guarantee from God that the world will one day be better because God has entered it to save it and make everything okay. And the Bible uses that image to describe how hope of the future conquers pain in the present. Jesus talks about it himself. He says in John chapter 16 and verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being's been born. And you think, what are you talking about, Jesus? I know, I know that's how it works with childbirth. Well, then he says this, verse 22. It's the same with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In other words, Jesus is saying to his friends, his disciples, to you, to me, your experience of the trials and tribulations of this life are like a woman's labor pains. They're like the moment of anguish and sorrow and exhaustion while you wait for the hope that you know is coming, but you're waiting for it. And on, on, what, on that day, it will come. And then no one will ever take your happiness away, again, ever, away from you ever again. But in the meantime, you have to wait. And effectively, the way we cope with the waiting is by fixing our eyes on the thrill of hope. And the Apostle Paul says the same thing. He says there, the trials tribulations, persecutions, anguishes of this present world, unemployment, loss, bereavement, divorce, COVID, right? Those things are like labor pains as we wait for the new life that is to come in Jesus Christ and the new world he is bringing. And Christmas is a reminder of that thrill of hope and it prompts the weary, grief-filled world to rejoice. And that's why we sing all these songs. That's why we celebrate Christmas in the way that we do. And we express that hope and that rejoicing in all sorts of ways, even if we are not Christians ourselves. Even if we're not sure we believe the Christmas story, we still celebrate Christmas in ways that reflect the Christmas story, which is really interesting. So like the angels, we sing a lot of songs. We sing carols. We ring bells. We put lights up at night to try and brighten the darkness, a bit like the angels light up the night. We, we reflect what Christmas is in ways that enact what the angels did. We, like the wise men, we give presents to one another as means of expressing affection and honor and respect for one another. Like Mary and Joseph, we travel back to our hometown. That's what I'm going to do. And that's what probably many of us are going to do. We go home to see our families partly as a way of honoring this season. Even like the shepherds, we take some time off work and we spend some time reflecting on whether these things are true and if so, what they might mean. But we do all of those things ultimately because of the child, the anchor in the manger, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who will live a life ultimately shaped like a comedy, like a smile, rather than like a tragedy, like a frown. He's the one who will leave heaven to come down to earth and then down into death and then down into the grave, then to rise again and to then be ascended in glory and seated at the right hand of God. 
His life will have, if you like, a childbirth shape to it. There'll be lengthy periods of sorrow and anguish and hardship and sweating drops of blood as he waits for the suffering to be over, but it will turn to everlasting joy and celebration and delight. And wherever he goes, this man, this, this boy, the child in the manger, the anchor, the Lord Jesus, wherever he goes in his earthly life, and whoever he meets, he has this extraordinary effect on them. That people seem to see in him a deep, certain hope that God, in and through this man, is making all things new. And that their sorrow will one day turn to joy. May the thrill of hope that makes the weary world rejoice be yours this Christmas. Let's sing and celebrate the goodness of what God has done in Christmas and in and through Jesus.